Welcome to a form of acknowledgement, homilies, teachings, and reflections with Father Jeremiah Volman, an Orthodox Christian priest, exploring the theanthropic life, the intersection between the created and the uncreated, the human and the divine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. In a few days, we'll be saying, Christ is born, glorify Him. Someone came up to me, we're in the season of preparation. Someone said, Christ is almost born. But I didn't say almost glorify Him. Glorify Him now, even. Today is a precious day in the Holy Orthodox Church. I hope you understand that when I say that today is a precious day in the Holy Orthodox Church, I don't just mean it's a precious day for those who are Orthodox, but it's especially precious to those who acknowledge the goodness of God and His grace and love toward mankind and who see the perfect manifestation of his love in and through the church. The living vine, the living vine to which we become engrafted. Today is the first day of preparation for Holy Nativity. This is distinct from the fast that began, that continues, that began on November 15th and be, continues uh, until the Feast of Nativity, the 25th. But we have five specific days of preparation with special hymns. And last night, for the first time, unless you came to the Nativity Paraclesis that we did a few weeks ago, but for the first time, liturgically, we sang the hymn of preparation. Make ready, O Bethlehem, for Eden hath been opened for all. Prepare, O Ephrathah, for the tree of life hath blossomed forth in the cave from the virgin, for her womb did appear as a supersensual paradise in which is planted the divine plant, where of eating we shall live and not die as Adam. Verily Christ shall be born, raising the image that fell from of old. That's one of my favorite hymns. Such a beautiful hymn. It sums up so much the history, the expectation, the reality, the experience. Make ready, O Bethlehem. Bethlehem, that little city, that little city whose name means city of bread or house of bread, out of which the bread of life will come. Also known as Ephrathah, you hear it beginning in Genesis and also in the prophecy of Micah. In the prophecy of Micah, we hear this beautiful little line, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth from me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting, a witness to the fact that the pre-eternal God, the Word of God, the one through whom all things have come into being, the one who spoke life into existence. 
Jesus, the pre-eternal God, who was from everlasting, would come forth from this town, Bethlehem Ephrathah, and Ephrathah means fruitful. Fruitful. That's a good name for that town, because from Christ has borne forth the most perfect and precious fruit. From that place, again, from that living vine has come forth a fruit not of worldly quality, but as we hear in that precious hymn, where of eating, where of eating we shall live and not die. That's the fruit of which we speak. We talk about the, the tree of life that has blossomed forth in the cave. It didn't need worldly light because it is the light and it brings forth the light to the world. And the very vine brings forth the fruit which is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and his blood. Where of eating you shall live and not die like Adam did. Where of eating we shall live and not die. So much is summed up in that beautiful hymn. He, come, he came humbly in one of the least expected ways, bringing forth life to those who would receive him to become partakers of him. Beloved, you have to understand that this is why the church takes Holy Communion so seriously. This hymn itself says, when we eat of the fruit of this vine, which is his body and blood, we shall live and not die as Adam. And so today and every day and every time we serve the liturgy, actually, the incarnation takes place. Did you know that? Every time we serve the divine liturgy, the incarnation takes place. Off to the side here at the table of preparation, we have an icon of the nativity for that very reason. That which would seem so common. Wheat that has grown from the dirt of the ground. Grapes that have grown off of the vine. Seemingly common. Like that little one who was born in a cave. Not so common, beloved. Not so common. They become the body and blood of Christ. Not just for us to gaze upon, but for us to receive and become enlivened by. And by doing so, overcoming death. We identify with those ones who journey to the cave. The lowly shepherds and the magi. And I want to talk about that a little bit today and tell you one of my favorite stories. Today we call uh, also, it's the first day of preparation for nativity is always the 20th. It happens to be a Sunday, and the Sunday before Nativity is also the Sunday in which we read the genealogy. So we call it the Sunday of the genealogy of Christ. 
And it's a testament to the fulfillment of the prophecy that Christ would come in the lineage of David. And it was discerned by our Holy Fathers as a vital affirmation of the fact that Christ truly came in the flesh, that he was and is truly man. When you understand that, that he was and that he is truly man, and in his great humility he broke into this broken lineage of humanity, beginning with our first father and transgressor, Adam, and his wife, Eve. How could God do it? How could he? But he did because of his great love. And he came as a part of that broken lineage. The commentators on this say, Look at the many who have come before, who have made many mistakes. They weren't perfect. We can identify with them. Christ came for them and he came for us as well. He identified with them by even joining as a part of their genealogy. And then actually what happens for those who were baptized into Christ and put him on and become partakers of him, of course, we're no longer concerned with worldly physical, physical genealogies, but the genealogy that is passed on by the grace of the Holy Spirit, starting with Christ, who blew upon his disciples and apostles, bestowing upon them the grace of the Holy Spirit, like we did yesterday at the baptism. I blew in the sign of the cross, just like Christ breathed upon his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We do the very same thing, and by receiving that breath, the touch, the laying on of hands, entering into the womb, the tomb, and the womb that is the baptismal water, we become engrafted into that living vine. In a way, the genealogy represents the story of those, in a way, also who gave themselves. We see many also who gave themselves to God, beginning with Abraham, who we spoke about a little bit last week. In this season, we recall the visitation of those who were made aware of the birth of Christ and who drew near to see the newborn child in the manger, the shepherds, the shepherds who in their simplicity brought their adoration. They were not uh, reading Vladimir Lossky books, trying to figure out when the mystical theology would become known to them. They were tending their sheep in the fields when they were beckoned by God in the midst of that simple moment of their nitty-gritty work to go and see Christ. That's what we do, beloved. We stop everything that we're doing to go meet Christ every time we come to the church and especially when we come to the liturgy. They set their flocks aside. I don't, don't doubt that they went back and resumed their responsibilities, but their flocks waited when they went to go meet Christ. The very same thing that we do. We set aside earthly cares for a couple of hours, as often as we can, to come and meet Christ. The flocks will be there. And if He grants us another day, our flocks and our responsibilities 
will be ours to tend to. And then we hear about the three wise men who came to celebrate Christ's birth. You would think that these, uh, these sages, you know, these rich sages, dignified ones, had all that they needed. But they humbled themselves. They set their pride aside and went on a journey not knowing where they would end up. They greeted, greeted a king not in a throne room, but in a stinky cavern. And I don't think when they got there, they turned away, saying, oh, we were hoping that it would be um, gilded. <laughs> gilded with true glory, uncreated glory, the light and love of the uncreated God. And these rich and wise ones traveled from afar, they offered unto Christ gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and the gifts themselves are of considerable significance in the church. Gold, you may know, that that precious metal signifies the fact that Jesus is king. King of Israel and of the entire universe. And of the eternal kingdom. Frankincense signifies that Jesus is God. Since incense is used in the worship of God and only God is to be worshipped. That's why Christians could never offer incense to idols or to any God other than the one true God. He brought frankincense and we've been burning frankincense in our services. Myrrh, a strange gift. This was a prophetic gift because myrrh was used to anoint the dead. Well, if you know the story, then it makes sense to you. Here, given to a newborn child, not a morbid gift, but indicating that Christ came to die as the perfect sacrifice for all of humanity. And then I couldn't resist sharing this story one of my favorites. As for us, what do we have to bring to Christ? What do we have? Well, your answer should be everything. But that's kind of hard to do. You have to start somewhere small and build up to it. So I think it's been a few years since I've shared this story, so I'm going to share it today. Christmas night a story from the life of St. Jerome. A holy and wise hermit prays, kneeling for hours in the holy cave in Bethlehem. He's, he was at the Church of the Nativity. In the cave that 400 years ago had hosted our newborn Christ, the hermit is none other than the great church father, St. Jerome, who recorded what had happened. That night the saint had left his hermitage, his little, little, little house where he lived and prayed, which is close to the holy cave, and decided to stay up all night and pray in the holy manger, the church of the nativity. His heart was full of gratitude for the great gift of God 
who descended to earth becoming man to save us from the slavery of sin and from the tyranny of the devil and from the claws of death. He approached that holy place with such reverence and gratitude. Complete silence prevailed that night in the sacred area. Suddenly he hears his name in a soft voice. Jerome! The saint, surprised, looks around, puzzled. Nothing. Nobody was there. Jerome! The same voice was heard. Yes, it was coming from the Holy Grotto. And it made his heart tremble, shocked. Jerome! What gift will you give me tonight for my feast? It was truly the sweet voice of Jesus. The saint burst into tears. O oh Lord, you know that for you I left everything. The palace of the emperor, the greatness of Rome, comfort, my heart, my thoughts. Everything to you is directed. What can I offer you? I have nothing. And yet, Jerome, there's something more that you can and should offer me. It will please me more than any other offering. And this I want, the saint thought, spent a few minutes, and then dared to whisper, Lord, I cannot think of anything. Tell me, Lord, what else can I offer you that I cannot think of it myself? A short time of silence passed and the voice of Christ was heard again. Jerome, I want your sins. Give me your sins. My sins. What will you do with my sins, Lord? I want your sins so that I can forgive you them. That's why I came to the world. Jesus answered and a deep silence prevailed. Shocked, St. Jerome began to shed tears, tears of gratitude that flooded the holy cave all night long. He left us the practical advice to remember every Christmas that the best gift to offer our Savior is our repentance for our sins. This is the best celebration of the feast. You could add, this is the great reset. We celebrate, but let us not forget what we celebrate. The incarnation of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one who knew no sin, yet became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In order for Him to take away our sins, we have to bring them to Him. Our King didn't come as a glorious ruler upon the earth to conquer kingdoms and subdue people, but rather to subdue the passions of all who would offer all that they have to give to Him, even their fallen humanity, so that they might be remade by way of the one who became man, who became like us in every way that we might become like Him in every way by grace. Beloved in Christ, let's cast our cares upon Him, offering Him in one of the greatest paradoxes of our life, our sins, so that we might be forgiven 
loosed from the bonds of sin by he who was incarnate as a little child and wrapped in swaddling bands. As we heard in Vespers last night. Behold, the time of our salvation is at hand. Prepare yourself, O cavern, for the virgin approaches to give birth to her son. Be glad and rejoice, O Bethlehem, land of Judah, for from your Lord shines forth as the dawn. For from you our Lord shines forth as the dawn. Give ear, you mountains and hills, all lands surrounding Judea, for Christ is coming to save the people whom he has created and whom he loves. Amen.